All right, here we go with part five of our talk with Max, Max Ivy. Now, like I said before, you'll find the, the links to his site. It's kind of fun. I know, you know, the odds of somebody, you know, driver looking at that stuff and having room for something like that is pretty, pretty, you know, not there. But it is still fun to look at that kind of stuff and think of your childhood, you know. Think about when you took your best girl out on a Saturday night. Or was it a Friday night? Or or was it both nights? Me? I don't know. You know? I just remember, you know, like I said before, like walking around as a kid, not having much money. And being able to hang out with my friends and get away from the house. And, you know, just hang out with my buddies. And maybe we didn't have much money, but we really didn't need much money. But hopefully things will, you know... Those are an earlier time, and we'll get back to those days again, I'm sure. You know, it's just a matter of time. Until then, you can, you know, hear stories of the workers. Now, if we can only get Mags to give us some secret tips on how to win the big teddy bear, or the big, you know, stuffed lion, you know, that would make us, uh, you know, that would really give us a heads up with the things, but I think he's right, you know, slip the Slip the guy running the thing, you know, 20 bucks maybe, and, uh, you know, when she's not looking, he'll, uh, you know, knock the thing down for you if you're throwing the, the ball at the water, you know, the milk jugs, or, or shooting the balloons, or, or whatever it is you're trying to do. I don't know, it's been a long time, quite honestly, since I did that stuff. As a driver, you know, you don't get to see a lot of that kind of stuff, but I see these guys going up, or I did see these guys, I should say, going up and down the road for quite a while. And with, you know, thing, lately things haven't been so much, but we'll get back there. You know, it's a thing we do, and, you know, it goes back, like Max was talking about. You know, over in Europe, they got that one place all run by steam. You know, they got these things going crazy, you know. Another thing you might want to check out, you get a chance. Check out Baraboo, Wisconsin. The place is called Circus World. And what it is is they have all these circus wagons. It's the home of the Ringling Brothers Martin Bailey Circus winter camp. It's where they wintered. And they just, I know Wisconsin. Why would they winter in Wisconsin? How do elephants hang their winter? I don't know. But just check out Circus World in Baraboo, Wisconsin. I swear it's a real city. Baraboo. Baraboo, Wisconsin. And uh, Ringling used to run that town, basically. You know, it's a, it's a pretty neat little story there. You might want to check it out. All right, I'll leave you with a little more carnival sounds, and then we'll go to Jeremiah Craig. Let's get it on. Part five. This is the last part. All right, talk to you all later. Across the nation, checking cities off his list, sharing stories of the road right here on his station. You are listening to the Kingfish. Yes, you've tuned in to the Kingfish Radio Network. Expand your mind on the open road. 
with Kingfish right here. I'm still trying to find the one thing that I can do 100% of the time and make a living from it. So until I find that one thing, I do stuff that interests me or that helps other people. And so I write and tell my stories uh, in public speaking and on on the blog and in print. You know, I I sing a little. I uh, I encourage other people to do their thing, like start their podcast or write their book. I I help people get exposure by by introducing them to people who have opportunities by um, some people have called me that have referred to me just as ask for you, Max, because I don't have any fear of being told no. So quite often people that don't have the confidence to reach out on their own, I do it for them. So yeah, I do a bunch of different things, not all of them every day. Uh, I'm blessed to have, you know, many different things. I, I think the real, the kind word is multifaceted. But there's just lots of stuff that interests me. I'm easily distracted. I'm very curious. I Ooh, am shiny. always waiting to find out. What, yeah, <laughs> shiny objects. Yeah, I'm always waiting to find out what that next experience or adventure is. And, you know, I used to say, I used to tell people that shiny objects didn't bother me because shiny objects are, shiny objects are only distractions for people who have money or credit. But I've since realized that, you know, a shiny object can be effort. You know, it can be work. It can be doing stuff for other people or for yourself to try to do something new that you've never done before. So, yeah, I do have a little bit of trouble with shiny objects. And uh, I have a friend, Alex Sanfilippo, who runs a place called Creating a Brand. Me and him are really good friends. And he's always telling me, Max, you know, I know you could do that, but really, you need to stay focused on these five things, man. You know, stay focused, stay focused. Stay... And it's become a running joke between us whenever we talk to each other now, because, yeah, I know that I'm easily distracted. I know that, you know, something, doing something I've never done before is more fun than doing the stuff I know I know how to do that I do every day. And sometimes I'm a good kid and I, I listen and other times somebody comes along with something new and I'm like, yeah, man, we got to do that now. Like, uh, just this week, I uh, found out about an online place where they connect business people who want to learn about things with people who know those things and want to teach them one-on-one through a new platform. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you about that. And a few weeks ago, I found out about a new network for podcasters called Podcast USA, where uh, the guy who started it is wanting to support and encourage other podcasters, especially independent podcasters where we can build a supportive network that can help us not only grow, but monetize because if, you know, he's, he's built a New Hampshire chapter to the point where they're now making sponsorship deals for their, for their members. And he wants to do the same for podcasters all over the world. So I'm now part of that as the head of the Texas chapter of podcast USA. So I, sometimes I listen and stay focused and other times it's just, man, that's just would be too much fun or it's, it would help me do something else I'm already doing. And I just can't say no. So well, I'm working on it. I think it's in your DNA. You know, you grew up in an environment in a family business that it's, you know, everything's unexpected and things change on a moment's notice. Your dad was a jack of all trades, jumped around too. So your whole upbringing was, hey, this needs to be done. This isn't what I do, but I got to go do it because it's the family business. And so you were all over the map yeah. on it. And it's your whole, you know, you, so you're that way. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty. I think it's fantastic. So here's what we're gonna do. We're yeah. gonna we're go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna break this up into a couple of parts. 
because uh you know oh, yeah. you know probably because everybody drives for half an hour to work and then we'll put it up in the next couple of days max if you could send me your links for all all your uh websites i got a couple of them but all the yeah, stuff i'll do that I'll, I'll, put it in the, and I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes all right this has been fun it was uh it was more than i expected so i'll be interested to see how many half hours you come up with out of this uh, but it was fun and I would do it again and I would encourage other people to do it. And, uh, I just been just, it's been like, uh, riding in the truck, having a conversation is really what it's been like. So I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it. And, uh, well, what'd you expect, man? You got a carnival guy who can talk to anybody from all over the country. Cause that's what you do. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and then you got a truck driver who can't shut up. It's like, you know, we're going to go long, <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. It's just, you know, but I, I had a great, I had a, you know, see what you did for me, and this is what I get out of it. You introduced me to a world that I knew the outside of, and I got to see a little bit of the inside and I'm still going to get that, how to get that stupid ball, you know, the bottle up with the, with the rope. One of the, I'm going to, I'm going to get that out of you one of these days. So I, I can told get you, big, don't play. Oh, I know, but find, I got to get. Find, yeah. Make friends with the operator. Well, that you was know. my, my co-driver asked me that question. He said, he, I told him I was going to talk to you and Rob, uh, he's a young guy. He's like, Hey, uh, you know, how do I, you know, I said, do you have any questions for Max? Cause he's in the carnival. And I said, I'm looking for, you know, ideas. And he goes, can you, can, can you, and he's all shy. He's like, can you, can you ask him how to, how to rate, get that bottle up with the rope and the, and the, and the, and the ring? He goes, cause I, <laughs> I, I can't get it. Can you tell me how to do that? I said, yeah, I'll ask Max. Uh, so I'll tell yeah. you uh, not to play it. But uh, are we still recording? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of history here, and I'm going to leave it up to your discretion whether you want to use it or not. Okay. In the carnival business, for years and years, going back to the days of uh, when sheriffs were referred to as shy reeves, there have been people who have operated games of chance and games of skill, and in the like in the 40s and 50s. People had suffered through World War II and they had a lot of money because they couldn't spend it because everything that was being built was being built for the war industry. So there were no cars, no air conditioners, no refrigerators. And so when people started being able to buy stuff again, there were a lot of people that wanted to buy it and not a lot of stuff they could buy. So a lot of people would pay under the table. They would offer the guy at the car dealership a bribe if he would help them get the new you know, the new 47 Ford or whatever. And so you had you had a country with a lot of money. They had been working really, really hard with no outlets for their for themselves for real entertainment other than maybe the newsreels. And so the carnival operators on their games, they noticed that people wanted to win and they were willing to pay. So what would happen is if you didn't win the first few times, the game operator would say, well, you know, for we can play this game for a dollar or $2 or $5 a try and you'll have a better chance of winning. Uh, and so sometimes people would, you know, by the time they want a piece of uh, stuffed animal, they might be playing for as much as eight or even $16 a game. That was just the way it was done. But like I say, people had a lot of money and nothing to really do with the money. So in order to, the way the games were operated is there used to be a person that would actually sit behind 
the baseball toss or would sit across the way from the Coke game and they would control the level of difficulty of the game. It was called, they were called a gaffer. And I may end up getting in trouble for this at some point in the future. Who knows? I'm not in the business anymore. So who knows? They get mad at me, they get mad at me. So the gaffer was, um, there, there would be a signal between the game operator and the gaffer when they were ready for somebody to win. They would just tell them, hey, this person's played enough. Let them win this time. And, and they would. They'd make a big deal about the win and give away the big stuffed animal. Uh, later on, though, the gaffers were replaced with mechanical devices that would accomplish the same pur- purpose, and they were referred to as the G. So games in the 50s and 60s, they were they were rigged. They did have gaffs to them that could be adjusted by the game operator, either directly or by signaling the other person working the game with them. And, you know, some people took real advantage of that. Some of the, some of the people working in the 50s and 60s uh, eventually went to prison because they should have. You know, they were really taking advantage of people who, like I said, they had survived the war. Later on, the same thing would happen after Korea. Lots of money, nothing to do with it. And as you know, sometimes people will take advantage of that. Thankfully, almost all of those games are out of the business nowadays. You, if you see one, you're going to see it on a small midway somewhere. Uh, mom and pop operator, maybe that somehow gets into one of the big fairs because they're just not good for business. They make people mad. And, you know, especially if you, somebody takes advantage of a serviceman or a teenager or somebody with a disability, then, you know, then it's on. Then people are mad. And in the day of social media, making people mad can put you out of business. Like uh, in the late 80s, the a carnival lost their contract with the military bases here in Texas over somebody working those kinds of games to servicemen. So it's just, it's not good business. But that's the way things were done. And some of those games, even if they're straight up straight, you're not going to win unless the operator wants to help you. Well, so in, in I would ways. say don't play don't play the bottle up game at the fair. If you do, try to try to try to get to know the operator. You know, maybe you get lucky and whoever's running it that week is related to you or something. Uh, <laughs> because it's one of it's, it's one of those games you're most likely by. It, we used to have an expression, and the expression for most of my family was we're we're just selling stock. We're just selling stuffed animals. And the goal is to have more players than winners so that, you know, when somebody does win, the stock is paid for. So all a game really is is camouflage over a store. The only difference between a store and a game is most games, you at least have some entertainment built into buying this, into getting that stuffed animal. And some people are probably going to be disappointed when they hear me say that because I basically just stole some of their, some of their memory. I don't know, but, uh, like I said, we were always referred to as selling stock. And, you know, just like some people will try to sell a, a new, t- a new truck tire for $50. And, you know, if, uh, if, if you're stuck on the side of the road, somebody might try to sell you that same tire for $200. And it's the same way with the, in the business. Some people, when they, when they sell their stock, they want to get a lot more for it than other people do. So, but yeah, in the business, it went from, Gaffers, a physical person behind the booth, are operating uh, the control over whether or not somebody could win to mechanical devices. And then, like I said, nowadays, pretty much out of the business, thank goodness. Uh, 
my dad actually worked a game called the Six Cat, which is absolutely gone from the midways. You won't find one of those anywhere. Uh, it was a game where you had two sets of three big uh, uh, wood wood and, and uh, fabric cats that you had to knock over with baseballs. And it was just like your, your pull-em-up coat game as far as how many people wanted that puppy. But yeah, you see those. I don't know. It's, I picture you know, like the old movies, you know, or uh, you know, like the, you know, uh, you know, you don't see that kind of stuff anymore. No, you but, don't see the punk rack with the little cats like Elvis Presley is working in Roustabout. That's a that's one of those great movies. You want to see if I I know people in the business kind of cringe when they watch that movie, but if you want to see where the carnival was in you know in the thirties and forties even though the movie is, you know, set even earlier than that, I think. I think Roustabout's a heck of a movie, and it's got some great music in it. Uh, Roustabout, cool. Poison Ivy, uh, Little Eva, the the music to the Little Eva show is, is in that movie. You know, so there's lots of good music in it, and, uh, it, but, it, you know, just the way it portrays the two different styles of carnival owners, you got the guy off of Green Acres that's a real sleazy carny, and then you got the mom and pop that's been at it for years it's just trying to keep going and and then you got elvis who comes along and he may, and he turns a a ragbag carnival into into a, a a show that's making lots of money overnight because he can sing you know when i think of when i think of circus movies i guess i think of or carnival movies circus movies i think of you know the barker you know which is an old one i think of uh, uh big top you know which is an old you know yeah. great one how about, I think uh, of, how about bronco how about bronco billy I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah, that's a that's one of those. The, the the line I remember from the reviewers about that movie when it came out was, and it was well, it wasn't from reviewers. It was from family members of mine. They said, they said, you know, I went to see that movie Bronco Billy, and they got a carnival in it. He said, the funny thing is, the carnival is hundred percent ragbag. It is just you know on its last legs. But every time they show one of the sh- one of the carnival's trucks, they're all brand new, Peterbilt, Peterbilts, and. And Max and you know the trucks. The trucks are worth more than each each one of the trucks is worth more than the entire midway. And, and it's the other way around in reality, right? Usually, yes, yes, yeah. Usually, it is, yeah. Because you you know, I doubt I doubt there are any semi trucks going for a million, two million, four million, and but there are rides going for that. The the one of the big splashes that was made in our industry about five years ago, Ray Kamek's show brought a brand new Ferris wheel from, uh, from Italy. It took 20 containers to get it into the United States. They spent $10 million for it. Uh, it takes something like 12 trucks to move it up and down the road. It's, it's like 250, 260 feet tall or something. It's crazy. How big, how big a Ferris wheel it is. And it's semi-portable. You know, they don't move it every week, but they move it every few weeks. And I remember when that, you know, when there were people that I know on the West Coast that actually went down to the shipyard to watch them bring that ride into the country. You know, it was a big, it was a big deal. And so, you know, like I said, I doubt there are tractor trailers that cost, you know, six, seven, eight figures, but there are carnival rides that do. You know, they have at the Milwaukee State Fair, they have one of those big, huge gondola Ferris wheels. And this thing is huge. And it's, you know, it, it's, I forget how many trucks they said it took to move it. It was quite a bit. I wonder if it's the same ride. I bet it is. 
because other than Kamek, uh, most of them are one or two trailer operations. So other than, the, uh, well, I think uh, uh, Vavona, Big A Amusements on the East Coast, is supposed to have bought a not one not one that big, but one that takes more than two trailers. So there's the this the crazy thing is over in the UK they they've been operating 200 plus foot wheels for years. And they do it on they do it with less trailers, but then the UK traffic laws are different than ours. Yeah, the trailers it, are wider; they can carry more weight. They can legally carry more weight in the UK than they can here. To the point where um, that ride I was telling you about, my brother went to the Netherlands to to help get it onto the ship and bring it to the US. When that ride was built to be operated in the UK, it was loaded on uh, two semis. But when they brought it to the U.S., it had to be loaded on three. Oh, oh because uh, maybe they got longer trucks, or they got bigger width, or they, they got more they allow, weight restrictions or something. They allow heavier. They allow heavier weight per trailer. Yeah, the axles yeah. are longer. Yeah, the uh, um, and their roads are better. Their roads are are better able to carry the the excess weight, like you know. If this, if the law allowed you to move a hundred thousand pounds or one hundred twenty thousand pounds, our roads wouldn't take that, and none of our bridges mm -hmm. would. Well, you know, the funny thing about that is, is right now, over the last few years, the roads have become horrendous. You know, I mean, there's, there's a, a like Flagstaff, Arizona. You go across there, and I've seen a couple of cars pulled over because their rims were folded like tacos because they hit some potholes yeah. that were so bad. And and the roads across the the you know it's it's so much worse than it was 15 years ago, and we're not rebuilding our infrastructure like we should, and it's just horrible. You know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And the thing is, like I hear people complain all the time, and it, it to me it's kind of amusing. They're like, "Oh, these trucks, these trucks are tearing up our roads," and I'm like, "Well, why don't you get in your bicycle and drive to the state line and pick up your shampoo then?" <laughs> Because, you know, these trucks are what's bringing uh, everything in. And they sit there and they go off about it. And then they're like in my community here in Wisconsin, the, a lot of the roads are pretty terrible. In fact, I have a, I have a tea bucket hot rod. And so there's some streets I can't even go down because it's just too bumpy. And people are like, oh, yeah, the, this, you know, the trucks, they just tear up the street. I'm like, it's a residential neighborhood, you moron. Trucks aren't even allowed on the street. <laughs> How is the truck on the interstate, you know, 10 miles away? tearing up your road here that a truck hasn't been on in like 50 years you know and they're like, well you know no i don't know can you explain it to me and then they, they you know that's when they well, get mad well here's what i wish more people would understand okay our roads highways and bridges for the most part are paid for by gasoline taxes and that's tax on on gas and diesel and in some cases uh compressed natural gas but here's the thing we haven't raised that tax in something like 20 years. And at the same time, while tractor trailers are still using the, the same amount of fuel they used to, maybe, you know, maybe they're more fuel efficient now than they were 20 years ago, but uh, tractor trailers still have to have X number of gallons of diesel to make a cross country trip. At the same time, cars are running on less fuel. We're having hybrid cars. We're having totally electric cars. And so we've got thousands of, and I, I, I try to avoid political stuff because it's not my thing. I don't like to piss people off. I don't want to get people mad at me. Over, but less and less of the cars on the road are paying 
for the maintenance of the road they're on. Whereas a tractor trailer is still paying their same amount of freight in the form of gas taxes and in the form of tolls that they were paying 5, 10, 15 years ago. That's just, that's just the truth of the math. You know, just think, think about a state like California where they've got a, a higher percentage of, of electric and hybrid vehicles than anywhere else in the country. I wouldn't even want to, I wouldn't even want to guess how, how much off the state tax, the state fuel taxes are over the last 15 years in California. But that's oh, where most of it. that money comes from. Well, a lot of the states that, that have that issue with the, with those kind of vehicles, they're talking about doing a mileage-based tax, you know, switching over yep. to a mileage-based tax. But the only problem with that is that with the gasoline sales tax, you pay at the pump, it's done, they have an infrastructure built up to collect that money. But if you go to do it where you're doing it by the mileage, now, you know, do I got to bring my vehicle in so you can write down the mileage to prove I'm not lying? Do I got to report it once in a while? How do you, you know, there's a whole... You know, there's no infrastructure for that, but that's what they're talking about going to. But that alone is going to be, how, no matter what they do, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. You know what the easiest way for them to do that would be, given the low percentage of older vehicles on the road? Let the smartphones do it. Let the, G, let the GPS and the computers in the car do it. Well, yeah, but they You know, need- they're reporting that information to the manufacturer anyway. Just have that information reported to whoever's collecting the taxes. Well, then you start getting into the, you know, the, there's always going to be somebody upset about it. That, oh, that's my privacy. And it's like, oh, okay. you know, it's like, yeah, well, we got to get already. They've already, that ship's already sailed because when you, when you buy those new cars and you agree to all those new features, you sign waivers that give them permission to access that information and even to share that information in some cases. So, you know, for, for most of us who don't take the time to read our our agreements when we buy stuff, that's that's where we are. But this, as far as the privacy to that data, I think that one is all pretty much already sailed in the automobile industry. Oh, I agree with but that. That would be the easy. That would be the easiest way to do it. Would just be say, you know, those cars are reporting to uh, they're reporting to the manufacturers. In some cases, they're reporting to lease companies and to rental companies. The information's already out there. It's already being shared. If that data were shared with whoever collects the taxes, then that would just solve the problem. But you're right. My dad used to say that one of the worst things to be in the carnival business was to was to be booked in where somebody else got first count on the money. And when it comes to, you know, the taxes, if you depend on people, you know, some people are honest. A lot of people are honest. But if you depend on people to turn in mileage on their own, we we all know that based on how people feel about federal income taxes, that there'll be a lot of under there'll be a, a whole heck of a lot of underreporting on how much mileage you turn in. Well, everybody, uh, and you and, know where the yeah, and like you said, everybody's got a tracking device in their pocket. It's their phone. Yeah, you know, like yep. I give it Track example. Track the phone. Like, like, like Apple and Android keep track of the mileage. Yeah, like my wife, she knows exactly where I'm at. She, you know, you know, she used to be a dispatcher. She used to follow me with the GPS in the truck. Now she follows me with my phone, and you know, it's like, you know, I think she she's stalking me, Max, for like 22 years. <laughs> you know, uh, I've got, I've got, a, I've got one really good friend here in in Conroe that uh, that I met through church about five six years ago, and and you know, she's got kids, and she kind of thinks of me as another one of her kids, and so. Whenever I leave town, I have to make sure that uh, I have act- I've authorized her 
to use the find my fi- uh, friend find my friend or whatever on my iPhone so she knows where I'm at at all times. And I'm like, and you know, if if you're you know, you just you know, there's certain people you just don't want to worry. So it's one of those things. Yeah, it's an imposition, and you know, some people might get mad about it. But I just feel like you know, she cares about me enough to know that I want to know that I'm safe and. Plus, I kind of have a track record of taking unnecessary risks when I'm traveling. So I quite often leave the house with less money on me than a sensible person would. So I really can't blame her too much. And so I, you know, we have a it's, we have a nice call before I leave town and we make sure that, that she can follow me wherever I'm going. And, and it works out. It works out pretty cool. I, uh, I want to share with you this experience. This uh, line I said just before I left town in uh, 2016 to go on my very first trip. I was going to New York. I was going to be gone for two weeks. I was going on Amtrak because I had competed for and won their uh, Rider in Residence award, award where they pay for you to go on a train trip and and have it stimulate your writing juices so you can you know create a book or a screenplay or or, uh, or poetry or something. And lots of people were worried about me leaving. And this was after the 2016 election. There was a lot of protests going on in New York City and all. And everybody was was worried about me going. People were trying to talk me out of going, including my my younger brother, Michael. And I remember saying something to the effect of, you know, at the rate I'm going, I'll be lucky if I get out of town without somebody pinning a note to my shirt to sell him, if lost, return him to Conroe, Texas. You know, I think that's if what I use find uh, find phone thing for is um, kids in the family or people that I've known for a long time in uh, podcasting. Yeah. I'll let them, you know, because they, you know, would would somebody does people find the whole truck driving thing fascinating? I don't know why. It does, maybe I did at one point, but it, you know, today it's just normal. And I'll let the I'll let the kids follow me because the kids will, you know, they get a kick out of it. Like my cousin, he called me up and he's like. Hey, uh, I caught Jared underneath the blankets last night, watching you drive across Texas. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, oh, I said that's kind of oh, cool. You're gonna catch your kid doing something under the blankets. That's about as good as it gets, man. I thought it was, um, I thought it was hilarious. You know, he wouldn't go to sleep just watching as the trucks driving across the country. It takes a long time to get across Texas, especially if you're going from northeast to southwest. Oh God, uh, you know, I've been gone that way in a long time. Mostly, I just could do. Uh, well, to these days, it's you know, uh, fifty-five to forty-four down in St. Louis, then St. Louis down through Tulsa, then Oklahoma City. Then I go down to Flagstaff, hit the 17. Then I go down to the 10 down there in Phoenix, and then it's out to Ontario Airport. I go to airports now. Well, anyway, I think we're going to cut yeah. this off. Hang off once yeah, I stop. I know, I know. Gonna, and then, um, and then uh, yeah. but hold on. And then um, what we're going to do is Max is going to give me all his links. I'm going to put it up there. If you want to buy a carnival ride, or, uh, you know, like Max, I, you know, if you want to drop that Ferris wheel off in my yard so I could test it out for a few weeks, you know, I'm all for that. Yeah. I think the wife would like that. Just driving on up here, you know, nobody'll nobody will nobody will notice. Yeah. Just do it at night. All and, right. uh, you know, right. or maybe that train. Uh, Max has got a bunch of stuff on his site. Yeah, I, I highly recommend you check it out. And even if you're not into the market for that kind of stuff, you know, go go look at this stuff because you know these are like pieces of your childhood, and some of the stuff that Max has got on there you might have ridden on when you were a kid. You know, maybe it'll bring back a memory or two. You know, and I think that's yeah. you know because when I went on your site, Max, I was looking at some of the the trains, and I was like, oh man, 
I wish. And then I was looking at the carousel, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And it was just neat looking at this stuff again. You know, it was just, it was like, I was looking at a museum, you know, and, it, you know, of my childhood. It was just so much fun. So I highly recommend you check out, uh, Max is going to give me the link and I'll post it here. And then, you know, if you want to, you know, get in touch with him, whatever, that's the way to do it. And it's, and uh, of course, read his books. He's got some good stuff. And then of course, you know, like you said, your weight loss stuff, that's pretty inspirational, Max. You know, I never would have guessed you, you got up that big. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still have the picture on my, on my laptop. If you want me to send it to you. I've seen the one it's, on I'm your wearing, on your webpage. Is the one one of me in the red shirt standing against the door? Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. I've seen one on your on on your webpage that you know you were uh, you were looking you were you were a little hefty, but I never would have thought you got up to that. But I mean, that's that's amazing. You know, I mean, the the discipline yeah. to to lose that much is just amazing. I'm you know, I just find that inspirational. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to end it. Anything you want to say? I'll let you, you got the last word, Max. Yeah. Just if they want to find out anything, they can go to the blindblogger.net or they can send an email to just ask at the blindblogger.net. Uh, hope they will check out your podcast and leave, leave a rating or review. They can, they can find my podcast at what's your excuse show.com. Uh, and people don't have to want to buy me or hire me or book me to speak to, to, to reach out to me and ask questions and become my friend because I, I truly believe that every time we meet somebody, we are opening ourselves up to a potential blessing, to opportunities, to experiences, to knowledge that we couldn't get from, from our own past. So I hope that I'll hear from some of your, uh, some of your loyal listeners, and I'm looking forward to, be, to, to becoming part of your your various communities of visually impaired people and and seeing what I can't learn from them as well. Uh, this has been a great experience. And it's a good reminder for me and anybody that uses podcast interviews to promote themselves and tell their story is don't ever get in too big a hurry. You know, don't book stuff back to back. Leave yourself time to talk to the host. Leave yourself time to learn and to, and to maybe find out there's stuff he wanted to know about that maybe you weren't planning on talking about. So enjoy everything. Try to treat, I know it's difficult because so much, much of our lives is going by really quickly. It's stuff we don't enjoy doing at the time, but really as much as possible, try to see everything as an experience to find to, that you can get some sort of benefit out of. Uh, that every time you meet a new person, uh, try something you've never done before that regardless of the outcome, you see it as an experience to be savored. And that certainly is something I try to remember. And today has been one of the great experiences of my of my journey as a podcast host and guest. So thanks, uh, Kingfish, for, for having me and for, for being such a good new friend. I've really enjoyed this. Oh, Max, I, I learned I love seeing a you know, hidden world, and you literally are a hidden world. Your whole life was, you know, you know, I really enjoy that. And I had a great time talking to you. You're an easy guy to talk to. I had a lot of fun. Uh, the barker and a truck driver. Oh, my God, there's not enough bandwidth for both of us. So... <laughs> With that, I'm, I'm gonna go. Alrighty. I'm gonna go ahead in this one. I'm gonna put it up in about five parts or so, and that's it. I'll talk to you okay. guys. All right, that was Max, my new podcasting friend. I liked Max. It was a lot of fun. All right, I hope you guys have a beautiful day. Kingfish out. <laughs>